We scream defund the police so we can reallocate those resources towards something that focuses on true public health and public safety. Protesting all summer for black lives, we were under assault. People living in poverty, struggling, struggling to put food on the table, keep a roof over their head, take care of their kids, afford childcare. All is going on. And now we got damn robot police dogs walking down the street. What the hell do we need robot police dogs? This is some Robocop. This is crazy. Robot police dogs walking down the street. I'm with my three daughters. We're hanging out, and Taylor says the word both. I said, say that again. She said, what, both? I said, both? Who in this family says both? It's both, right? Her nannies said both. Both. And that was the day I realized someone else was raising my children. And it was that night with those girls. They gave me the wake-up call, the courage, whatever you want to say, to go, I don't know who these three girls are, but I'm sure as hell about to find out. Ernest dreamed of one day becoming a naturalist or an explorer like his hero, Theodore Roosevelt. He was also a good student and a fervent reader who loved O. Henry, Jack London, and Rudyard Kipling. At his mother's urging, he sang in her congregational church choir and played the cello. He remembered that he especially enjoyed the repetition and counterpoint, counterpoint and repetition that ran through the works of Bach. In the same way that she was driving the dancers, she was driving me to kind of pushing me to raise the level of what I had done. We got to about a little over an hour's worth of material, and she was asking for more, and then more, and then more. And he just goes, is this it? Am I done yet? I said, no. Just you go listen to more Bach. It's going to keep climbing. We're not done yet. It's both, right? Your internet radio dial is in the perfect position, and Race to the Bottom is on the air. Time to sit back and enjoy some refreshing Winslow tea. Try it hot, lukewarm, or over ice. Have it with milk and sugar, or a lemon wedge, or oh natural. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's Winslow tea. A New York City tradition since 1872. Ask for it by name at the tea house or your local greengrocer. Because that's how you know it's Winslow.
from the Winslow Tea Broadcast booth in temperate Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm John Reed. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Race to the Bottom, baby. Yeah. And what do we have for you today? We have the first annual Race to the Bottom Oscar Spectacular. Yes, you know it, you love it. Have a great talk coming up with my friends, Eric and Corey. I work with Eric at my school and his wife, Corey, came on the show to talk about the eight nominees for Best Picture. The Oscars are tomorrow. You might not know that. That's okay if you don't know that. Or they're not tomorrow. This this is an evergreen show because you could listen to this in three years and say, you know what? What were the Oscar nods? The noms. I think we talked about this last week. You get a nod. You get a nom and then you can get a nod. They just nod at you, and you know you won. But you, you're going to ask yourself, what what won back then? I want to know. I want to know. And you'll listen to this. But first, you'll listen to the mashup. And what was in that mashup? We do a thing. I know there's a lot of people who are tuning in for the first time because they're so excited about the first annual Race to the Bottom Oscar Spectacular. But we do, I've, that, that was the 68th mashup that I've done on the show. I often start the show with ephemera, different stuff that's popped into the culture during the week. And I mix it and mash it and stir it up, stamp it with a B, and put it in the, what, for baby and me? In the oven? I don't remember. Started out with Jamal Bowman talking about these robot police dogs. Man, if you haven't seen these, go type in type into the search field www.rope no. Just type in you don't need to we talked about this last time. I don't know if if you're still under the misapprehension that you learned from your uh, computer classes in the 90s that you have to type in the whole address, you can just type into the search bar, type in robot police dogs and see these crazy things coming on. I feel a whoop coming on. There's the famous Geico commercial with Tag Team. That's on every other ad when you watch sporting, at least sporting events. That's what I watch on live TV. And man, they like that Geico. I like that Geico ad. But I thought that the... I thought I feel a whoop coming on. Because we were walking around town. And we heard I feel a whoop coming on coming in from a car. And I said, oh, that's another section of whoop. There it is. No. There was a, it was a lot of whoop um, content at that time. That's from Tootsie Roll from the 69 Boys. I feel a whoop coming on. 
I talked a couple weeks ago about the song Man in the Box. This is a, this is one of these evergreen stories. And I I hesitate to reuse the word evergreen. I already used that. This is one of those constantly <laughs> green, constantly replicated uh like stepping in uh what is it? A man never steps into the same river twice. The story of me and my friend Tim, listener Tim, walking to tracks from my home in Norfolk, Virginia to get the single of En Vogue's Never Gonna Get It. And then another time, or it maybe was the same time, we got Allison Chain's Man in the Box, but I got scared. We were headbanging to it, and then I got this feeling that it was satanic and I smashed the cassette so I thought I'd throw Man in the Box on there mashed up with and talk about a gift that keeps on giving that's what I meant that was the good synonym for Evergreen the Garth Brooks documentary on Netflix if you haven't watched it you gotta you don't have to be a fan of Garth Brooks it's it's amazing what a strange beautiful man he is he tells the story about how his daughter said both and then he fired everybody who worked for him unbelievable both but I do like his insistence that it's both and not both a lot of smart people say both and I don't like it and then finally this was weird I watched the this Twyla, what Twyla Tharp documentary on American Masters, and and then also the Hemingway, and they both mentioned Bach as an inspiration, and that was what's his name from Talking Heads? David Byrne was making music for a Twyla Tharp thing, and she kept wanting more, and she said, "Go listen to more Bach." And why? What can I draw? Uh, what similarities can I draw? That's like this show. Iteration, theme and variation. This is like the 115th of these we've, we're doing. And it's good. Side note, why has there not been a major George Michael documentary yet? I've got some George Michael content coming in an upcoming show. And I just want to put out into the world that we need a George Michael Either a biopic or a doc. All right, so I can't waste any more time. I gotta, I gotta move on to the spectacular here. Um, they have animals. Yeah, that's animals. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna do a little tran- transition music here. Um. little round of sound shock g the the rapper from digital underground who i didn't really know very well but man a lot of my friends loved shock g and so i checked him out a little i mean i knew humpty dance and and a few of the um other stuff from digital underground and i knew that that's where tupac got his start as a dancer but uh this is good stuff oregano flow we'll listen to a little bit of that And then, without further ado, it will be 
the first annual Race to the Bottom Oscar Spectacular. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Just a touch of oregano. Now everybody's funkin', but they don't know how. They wasn't down back when the bull funked the cow. But the chest of the cow was vestless, so the stang from the jeep bang bang left them breathless. Oregano flow. Don't waste your time sticking out your chest for no reason. It's the season for the lovely flow. The deep was sick enough to stress. Let it go, let it go. Now follow as I slip into the butter melody. So I'm so excited for this. With me are Corey and Eric. How's it going, guys? Good, John. Thanks for having us. We're excited to yes. talk movies. Thank you. And we have like no credibility, so this is good to be a part of. <laughs> we we did we did finish first and second in our in our fa- family and friends Oscar pool. So we we do okay. credibility with movies for <laughs> useless credibility. There we go. That's as much. I mean, the fact that well, I think we all have credibility because we've watched all eight of these, which I feel like yeah. puts us in a very small. <laughs> I, I bet there's people who who voted as as part of the guild or whatever that haven't watched all eight. So I, I would. That's a strong bet. I bet we've got the ethos. <laughs> um, all right. So my idea is that first we'll just because, as I've said, there's eight of these movies. I thought we'll go through each one and kind of I'll give a quick synopsis and then we can give kind of our speed round thoughts. Um, So let's start. I think uh, this is the most recent for all of us, uh, which is funny that that's just how it worked out. Um, Eric and Corey, the most recent, the last one you watched of, of the eight was The Father, right? Yeah. So the father, a man, and I'm reading all of these from the IMDb uh, tagline. A man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. Directed by Florian Zeller with Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. Uh, what do you think, Corey? I think, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. Um, I didn't, not that I'm doing research before I watch these films, but didn't know much about it um, and was very surprised. I thought it was very, you know, psychological and it really, um, you know, I thought it was more going to sort of straightforward tell a story, but the way that it told the story, you know, I felt was very unique, very engaging. Um, and I, I thought it was very well done. I, I like that you pointed out the feel of it because I, I got like, horror movie vibes from it at times there's a lot of like you know slow zooming on closed doors where you know what's behind it and obviously without giving away too much of the movie there they do some unique things with with casting and shifting the reality as his dementia kicks in and his reality shifts so i expected very much like you know that intense oscar movie that you get all the time that's like the the deep family drama that's like just kind of like a real uh it really just drags you down but i felt like this was really well put together and it kind of uh was it way more engaging than i thought it was going to be 
Anthony Hopkins has a daughter who he from whom he is estranged and hasn't spoken to in 30 or 40 years, which I thought was uh, kind of a crazy thing to know going into this and for kind of his motivation as an actor. He's consistently impressive. Next film, Judas and the Black Messiah. Bill O'Neill infiltrates the Black Panther Party per FBI agent Mitchell and J. Edgar Hoover as party chairman Fred Hampton ascends, falling for a fellow revolutionary en route, a battle wages for O'Neill soul, directed by Shaka King, starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield and Jesse Plemons. What'd you think, Eric? Loved it. Uh, you know, they're they're both phenomenal and very powerful actors. I knew of Fred Hampton, but didn't know a lot about Fred Hampton. So this was one of those um, enjoyable movie experiences where I was invested in the movie, but also felt like I was learning something from the movie. Uh, and I feel like it's a, a really powerful performance. And it was obviously very prescient for, for now and all the things that are going on. So w- I loved it. Yeah, I think um, I was absolutely <clears throat> blown away by this. I think, you know, again, like the acting is incredible. Um, you know, the the film itself, I feel like really paints such a detailed picture of, you know, this incredible story. And, you know, I learned so much watching this and, you know, I, my heart and soul was in it the entire time. You know, I was on the edge of my seat. Um, you know, there, this is like a, a story that, you know, you could read about and you can learn about its history. But, um, you know, it was presented in a way I feel like that was so incredibly engaging and it just it just kind of dragged you in it was it was really beautiful so um i i really enjoyed it i've been saying for a while that i think lakeith stanfield is our best actor of our generation and this movie only furthered that argument i just he's unbelievable yeah i we love him i i thought in like sorry to bother you he's great uh and then in i really love atlanta and yes really good um, and particularly also, you know, in most recently Knives Out too. I yeah. think he's mm-hmm. great. I think the power with which Daniel Kaluuya speaks as Fred Hampton, those speeches, the scenes with the speeches, it's incredibly captivating mm-hmm. stuff. And even just the shift between, you know, seeing him in sort of those more intimate scenes, um, you know, that personal side, I think the way that he sort of shifted between, you know, that sort of, you know, the person that all of us see or saw, you know, to, you know, what he sort of was like behind closed doors and just that sensitivity. And, you know, that was, I thought, really well done. Lakeith Stanfield also kind of lost it uh, playing this character I was reading. He had he had to. Uh, go to therapy and kind of work through a lot of trauma from playing this this rat that he plays uh, it really affected him and uh, I can see why. You could feel it like through the screen you know especially in some of those later scenes it was just like you know it was just pouring out of him Alright next is Mank 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane Directed by David Fincher, stars Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried? I never know how to say her name. I, I, I'm Eric's looking at me because I think she grew up in my hometown where I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, but I could not tell you how she spells her name. <laughs> I think she went to Allen High School, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> What's your lightning round take, Corey? 
Um, so I, I mean, I really liked it. I think, you know, um, like the cinematography, just the, its quality as just a, a really well-made film is, is all there. Um, you know, I thought, honestly, it was, it was long. It was, um, you know, a little bit slow. I, again, wasn't sure what to expect going into it. I think it told a really interesting story and I think it, it told it really beautifully. Um, you know, it was one of those, I felt very engaged in that, uh, you know, a lot of the story is about his struggle with alcohol and strangely I'm watching like, oh. I feel like I should grab another drink like the whole time <laughs> like this length of a movie probably not the, you know the best reaction but um but it was it was great I, and I think um you know I love that it was like in black and white and I think you know some of the um you know I don't want to call them like effects but you know there's the one scene where they're um on the property with it's not a zoo it's like you know someone's property where they have animals and like mm-hmm. all of that and how that was kind of done um <laughs> using some of the you know older photography i thought was was really cool i know uh, people are mixed on this um and i i think like had i you know i teach cinema at the school we work at together and so i do, I do a lot of like we go over citizen kane and we talk about orson wells and i think had i not had the background that I did, I, I might not have been as engaged as I was, but I feel like for somebody who has watched Citizen Kane enough, I know so little about it because I was watching this movie and not and putting kind of like rest of the pieces of the puzzle together of how that movie was actually made. Um, and so it scratched that itch for me and it it was, you know, illuminating in those ways. But I agree with Corey, it, it was definitely um, slow at times. And I think they did a good job of you know, creating a nice kind of like aesthetic and ambiance and the, you know, but it's a slow movie with some, with a lot of flashbacks and you really got to stay locked in to kind of focus on what's going on. I typed Mank into Google and the first result was, is Mank boring? (laughs) (laughs) Next is Minari, a very short tagline on IMDb for this one. A Korean family starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. Directed by Lee Isaac Chung, stars Stephen Young, who people might know from The Walking Dead, Yuri Han, Alan S. Kim, Yu Jun Yoon as the grandma, who was amazing. Quick takes. I absolutely loved it. I think, you know, in if it was in this category with, you know, any other films, I feel like could definitely be an obvious front runner. Um, I really enjoyed the story. I It was low-key really funny. You know, I thought it was going to be a little bit dry. Um, you know, I'd um, read a little bit about it, um, you know, listened a little bit um, about the writer and kind of how he incorporated some of his own experiences, but, um, you know, wasn't expecting it to be sort of as... Uh, engaging and it's it sort of has the those two angles where it's like it's you know devastating at times but it's just you know the humor that this family is kind of finding in the day-to-day even when they are you know having a really tough time I thought was really beautiful yeah your I mean your tagline is like if you tell me that as a tagline I'm telling you I have no interest in <laughs> watching that movie not just because it just seems like it's gonna be slow and I I can see it play out in my head but I think that the movie is really well made. The relationship between the grandmother and the grandson provides uh, just a tremendous amount of humor. And then I think like one of the underrated stars of the movie is is Will Patton, who you know <laughs> I know from Arm from Armageddon fame, yeah. who plays like this kind of loony um, mm-hmm. you know helper, and that adds some levity too. And then there are just these really c- crushing moments of kind of like heartache and heartbreak within that family 
intermixed between that humor. So I thought it was a I thought it was surprisingly faster. It it played faster than I thought the pace of the movie would have been. So my extended family, like my grandparents, I I come from Christians. And I have like Christian radar, which my wife, who is not, who didn't grow up with that background, always marvels at. And we were watching the Golden Globes or something. And I was like, yeah, that I could tell, like immediately I, I saw the director. I was like, yeah, he's Christian. It's, it's like a Christian thing. And she was like, how do you know? What are you? And I thought that it was really respectful of, I don't know how to talk about this, but not like in a both sides way, but it, they kind of pointed out uh, through the film how culture is kind of arbitrary, whether it's like the crazy Southerners or the Korean grandma, like how culture is arbitrary, but also so powerful and so essential to who we are, um, whether it's the divining rod where they're trying to figure out where the water is or the or the smelly kimchi. And I, I thought it was did that in such a great way uh that wasn't hackneyed at all yeah i i would go beyond just the cultural stuff but also the roles like the fact that he kept being like you're not a real grandma right because we have mm-hmm. expectations of not just what crazy southerners are like or what asian immigrants are like but what grandmothers are like or what asian grandmothers are like or what you know so they, they acknowledge all of those stereotypes and then show kind of like other sides of the coin or more of the nuances of it. So I, I agree. I thought that was great. Next is Nomad Land, a woman in her 60s who, after losing everything in the Great Recession, embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad, directed by Chloe Zhao and starring Francis McDormand and David Strathairn. Lightning round thoughts are, I thought it was beautiful, and I think I might actually have enjoyed it the least of the eight movies. Yeah, and we haven't really talked about a lot of these films together, but, um, you know, that was sort of my take as well. It definitely wasn't um, my favorite, um, but I, you know, I thought it, it it brings you into this world that you almost wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Um, and it's, you know, and it's really, it's strangely relatable, you know, like these, this group of people are, you know, they're living their lives and on their own terms and kind of, um, you know, they have this freedom, even though, you know, they're by the traditional sense are, you know, tied down by, you know, so much else in terms of, you know, limited income and, and whatever it might be. Um, but I, I really did find it to be, you know, an interesting glimpse of, of, you know, a, maybe a, a group of people or culture that, you know, wouldn't have been aware of otherwise. An interesting kind of subplot politically about this one that I was reading about is there, and I'm sure everyone who watches it, the depiction of Amazon is controversial because these nomads kind of use Amazon temp jobs as kind of their go-between as they're moving around and I thought when I first saw Amazon, oh my God, how did they, how did Amazon assent to doing this? But it, they kind of soft pedal it and people are kind of pissed about that. And there might be some blowback. Which is, I, I was reading that too. And I, that kind of like upset me a little bit because I think that's not what the movie is about. And I, I understand that people always want to be critical of making sure that like, like how could you paint this in that light? But the movie is not about Amazon. So the the criticism that the movie should be painting Amazon or should show the nature of the Amazon work experience 
It's not really about that. And there's really only one scene where I think she's actually at an Amazon facility. The other times it's more mentioned about how she use it, needs the Amazon checkers waiting till she gets the Amazon job. And given the fact that almost all, all the people in the movie are nomads, I'm going to operate under the assumption that this is a, a, a lived in story to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in the movie that says that the treatment that Amazon gives these people is good. It's just that they rely on that job. And so if they rely on that job and that's an actual fact, then the movie isn't about whether Amazon treats its employees right or not. It's about this woman whose husband is dead and she's trying to kind of find some peace in uh, some, you know, some meaning in her life. And I, I don't think we need to fault the director or the producer because they didn't, you know, take a sidetrack to to bash Amazon. A next promising young woman, a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past, seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. Directed by Emerald Fennel and starring Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, and Allison Brie. What do we think? A lot to unpack with this one. I think, um, you know, I it's a very unique um, in terms of the story. I think um, it was very well done. You know, Carrie Mulligan is incredible. Um, you know, I thought, you know, it's it surprises you. You're you're invested like emotionally, like as a woman watching this, like, you know, you're you're relating to it in in the strangest ways. And I feel like you know, learning a lot about your own experience as you kind of go through. You know, I definitely think that this is a, a great film. Um, it just, you know, wasn't wasn't really for me. If you look at the the criticism of the movie or the, you know, the conversation around the movie is exactly why movies like this need to and are being made is that the commentary is like, oh, they should have cast somebody who could be more sultry and attractive than Carrie Mulligan, which is like the fact that that's the criticism of the movie is entirely why movies like this are being made and also takes away from the fact that that there are many other things to discuss in the movie both both positive and negative and she's great in the movie and i think also the fact that she's not like you know whatever the criticism is about like her sultriness i think was the word in the in the article like i think the the fact is her character is forgotten by these people that she went to school with and it's built in is the fact that that she is cast aside in certain ways and then comes back um, with this renewed purpose. And I don't think that the casting was at all wrong for that. And I think that she, you know, does a great job of going between the kind of like what you imagine to be very, you know, studious and quiet girl that she seems to have been from the description of her earlier on and then her character in the present day time of the movie. Yeah. And I should like, and I have to clarify, like the, the, this film is important. Like, I think, again, it has people talking and strangely has people talking for the wrong reasons um, in certain ways. And I think, you know, there's so much to, you know, that this film presents that we should be talking about. And unfortunately, you know, it, it, some other, you know, uh, conversations are distracting from that. But I do think, you know, as a woman, like, I'm so glad this story, you know, was told, um, you know, and I think, you know, any of criticism that I have really is more so in in sort of the again like the execution how the film um was delivered less so you know on the story itself next is sound of metal a heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into a free fall when he begins to lose his hearing directed by darius martyr stars riz ahmed olivia cook and paul racy or rachie i'm not i guess it would be racy what do we think it might be my favorite 
so we can save more of it for later. Um, <laughs> but I, I knew nothing about it. Um, saw it pop up on Amazon, and I have loved the things that Riz Ahmed is in in the past, so we decided to watch it. And I think maybe the fact that I knew nothing about it when we went into it, um, I was totally blown away by it. Uh, it's another one that like really kind of hits you in the gut in terms of like experiencing firsthand what a person is going through in the way you do with with the father. Um, and I just thought it was a really unique story really well told. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think it was, um, you know, we'll talk more about it, but definitely, you know, one of my favorites, I think, um, brings you again into that world that you, you know, maybe wouldn't have thought about otherwise. And I think, you know, it's so important and it's so, you know, becomes so relatable. Um, you know, that there's this community of people who, you know, by all accounts are dealing with, you know, some sort of like, I don't want to call it like a handicap, but, you know, uh, a disability and, um, and are just have found this, you know, community that, that, that that's like the norm. And it's, you know, they're, they, they are, they look at themselves and feel that they are fully able. And it's, you know, there's nothing outside of that, that they would consider as being, you know, a preference, um, you know, that, that would make, make them happier, give them a better life. And I thought that was really incredible. And I think is such an important lesson, you know, for, for any of us who are, you know, I don't know if like the, the comparison would be like able-bodied, whatever, um, you know, someone who isn't dealing with that or hasn't had that experience, I think is, um, really important to kind of give a glimpse of, uh, you know, how a community like that can really, really thrive and it's really beautiful. All right. So I'm going to hold my comments on that until we talk about (laughs) our favorites, because it seems like we have somewhat of a consensus. And the final one, man, they do eight of these. And and usually I'm like, seriously, you need eight. But I, like I've said, I, there's not a a bad movie in these, uh, in these eight, um, the trial of Chicago seven, the story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 democratic national convention in Chicago, obviously directed by Aaron Sorkin, Eddie Redmayne, uh, starring Sasha Baron Cohen, Mark Rylance doing his thing. What do we think? I think this I've read is sort of being viewed as sort of like a traditional, you know, um, choice for, you know, best picture. I think um, I think it's a great film. I think it's very entertaining. I think it's engaging. It's like a masterclass in acting. Like the writing is incredible. Um, you know, the story is engaging and is so relevant to uh, today. I think really um as if the protests themselves that are happening, um, you know, currently in our in our communities aren't, uh, you know, aren't teaching us all that lesson. It, it really shows the importance of um, of protest and how it really, you know, kind of changes the course of, of history. And I think um, it paints a really great picture. So I really liked it. Um, I don't from in terms of the Oscars, like, you know, I wouldn't expect it to um, to win. We'll see. But I do really, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, and, you know, for so many reasons, um, very, very entertaining, very engaging. I think it's interesting also that it's become seen as like the traditional choice because there's so much about it in a normal year that would seem more subversive or more pushing the boundaries. I mean, it very clearly calls out the criminal justice system. It very clearly calls out the American government for the FBI's role in trying to kind of manipulate the trial. Um, it has very clear, the, I mean, the Bobby Seale scene where he's, you know, taped in the courtroom is a, a 
really uncomfortable and powerful scene of, you know, racial violence um, and racial oppression. And I think there are many things that are not like, it's not that, you know, stagey time period uh, or stodgy kind of time period, you know, British piece that is more traditional. I think it's, um, it doesn't maybe push boundaries in the way that some of these other newer movies do, but I thought it was really good. And I thought, um, you know, leave it to Aaron Sorkin to have a bunch of scenes with marches so that he can get his Sorkin walk and talk, <laughs> even, though it's a, even though it's a courtroom movie. But listen, he started in the courtroom stuff. Um, you know, that's true. So I think it's, it's a little bit of his wheelhouse and I'm a sucker for Aaron Sorkin dialogue. So I, I really liked it. All right. So our favorite, I let's, let's each do our, our top two. Is is this like who who we, we would just, like I think to just select? Top, okay. top two well, favorite. Yeah. I do I have a segment of on my show politically, who do you want to win, who's gonna win? So we could do it that way. <laughs> sure. I dig it. Um so for me, um, and this is hard because I'm like I know that like I really am like rooting for these uh, these films, but I would say number one for me, sound of metal. Who you wanna win? who I want to win and who I think could come through. Honestly, like I am known to pick an underdog, but I genuinely think that Sound of Metal could do it. Um, And then I would say number two for me um, would be Minari. Uh, My my who do I want to win is Sound of Metal. Um, It was my favorite. And I just, we didn't talk about it in the first part. I just want to mentioned the the sound design of it and the fact that you can actually hear his hearing change. Um, And we have a friend who is a sound engineer and is worried about his own hearing and talked about kind of like hearing those things within the movie is like like a very much a gut punch to watch that. And it's Mm. very kind of traumatizing. Um, And who will win? I think it's going to be the trial of the Chicago 7. I think that Nomadland has a little bit of this controversy stain on it now. Um, and I think that Trial of the Chicago 7 has enough of that balance of traditional and, um, you know, pushing the boundaries that I think it will win. Um, and I also enjoyed it a lot as a movie. Um, I think it's pure entertainment value on top of the education aspect of it. So for for me trying to figure out which one I wanted to win, I would. My criteria was which movie was my what is it? Suspended disbelief, where, where I was just I was in it. And Sound of Metal, I agree. I was just in that movie. Same thing. It was like an Amazon original kind of thing where I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. Um, and I didn't actually watch it until I saw that it was Oscar nominated. And I'm so glad that it was because I don't think just from the title and the artwork that you had to click i was like i'm not necessarily this isn't for me and i just the depiction of the sound and the anxiety also the character change was just unbelievable both his and the character played by olivia cook i thought i I mean the two different places that you see her from the beginning and then where he goes i don't want to give too much away but I was so surprised by that. I was just surprised by every beat of the movie. And then I was also, I felt that way with Promising Young Woman, where I just, I felt totally unpredictable. I, I guess I benefited from not knowing a lot about it. I don't know. I would be pretty bummed out if 
if Trial of Chicago 7 won just because I feel like there's so many other great movies and yeah. just to have a white dude get get it. But, you know. I, I think if, if another movie besides Sound of Metal won, I'd want it to be Judas and the Black Messiah because yes. that was my second movie in terms of the most immersive experience. And I felt like it did what all really good movies do, which is entertain and illuminate or educate in you know ways that aren't like, you know, spoon feeding. I don't see it having the kind of the buzz and the, I guess, the polish that they usually award. But I think it was my second favorite movie of the of the group. So let's finish up with any kind of overarching feelings about this slate of nominees. People are talking about this Oscars as being maybe the least watched of of any in modern history. Are uh, doing award shows matter? the kind of movement away from uh obviously which has been accelerated by the pandemic but the the movement towards streaming and away from sitting in the theater uh thoughts about that in the context of these eight films it was very sort of unassuming like you know we happened upon some of these films um some of them we watched intentionally um, you know, it's an interesting mix. And I think, you know, this year is obviously very different from from others. But I think, um, you know, a lot of films, um, you know, Sound of Metal being one, I think are now considered and, and maybe wouldn't have um, in other circumstances. And so, you know, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to, to see what happens. Yeah, I think the move to streaming and also obviously the pandemic hurts movies like this because a lot of these movies take very intense focus and a lot of them cover some very kind of heavy material and in the middle of a pandemic you do you really want to go home and want to watch a movie about somebody struggling with dementia like it's not the most uplifting and i think that what we what we have been searching for from the comfort of our homes is movies that either a we don't have to we can keep on in the background a little bit or things that are pure entertainment. I agree with with both you. One thing that I do, th- and, and I agree that these movies are are kind of heavy, and, and like Bill Maher moaned about how they're, you know, and a lot of people were talking about how about his his moaning of oh these movies we we've had such a tough pandemic, but the um, there's a lot of reasons I disagree with that, but the biggest one is. I, I agree with you that, you know, when you are in pandemic mode, you don't necessarily want something so intense. But also, we've all watched so much content over the past year. And for me, I hadn't seen any of these movies when I talked to you about watching all of them and doing this. Knowing that they all had that some stamp of approval that they were good movies and me not having to worry that I was investing two hours in watching crap was good. Like, And I was able to kind of just be like, hey, people said this is good. I'm going to trust them. And they were right. And I enjoyed being able to relax into something that was good because we've watched so much crap over the past, you know, year plus. Yeah. And I think there's a place for for both of that, right? Like, you know, your point about Bill Maher moaning, like, yeah, I want to go home and watch Tiger King. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) And that is super entertaining. But that also doesn't mean that, like, sitting down to watch Nomadland is not also valuable and entertaining. And I think, 
you know, what we're, what we're learning a lot and what we really should have been learning for decades, but is what's coming to the forefront more now than any time before is how little we really know and understand about other people's experiences and, and cultures and identities and journeys and all of that. And I think obviously, you know, we could have real life experiences that teach us those things and that's super valuable. And that's obviously far more important than just like, I watched a movie about nomads and now I understand nomads. But I think there's also something to the extent of watching something about a person that is outside of our experience or a story that's outside of our comfort zone and appreciating it as a moment to take in another experience. And these, this slate of movies were uh, able to do that without there being like a green book or the help or crash. Like they were all authentic and, and weren't cloying and, and had, had all, all had power to them. So. Yeah. You definitely get the feels from so many of these. And like, I, that's something I love so much about films. Um, and it's a different experience when you're on your couch and you're distracted, you're getting text messages and all of this, but like forcing yourself to just put your phone down and feel it. I feel like with all of these movies, like if you invest the time and the focus, it's like you have, you have all the feelings and like, you know, all of the, the joy, all of the pain, just, you know, getting fired up watching Judas and the Black Messiah. Like it is, it's all there. Um, and I think that was consistent across all of these films. And let's, I mean, just because you brought up those other movies, but like, let, let's call out what the what the main difference is, right? If you have uh, filmmakers of color making films about their experience, you're going to get something that's not a spoon-fed yes. experience. Like you have Crash, written by Paul Haggis, directed by Paul Haggis, white dude. You have Green Book, written by Nick Vallelonga, directed by Peter Farrelly, white dudes. Um, So I think that to a certain extent, you get those kind of like, this is a message movie. But if you just allow people to to tell their stories and their experiences, whether that's the Nomad movie, whether that's, I guess, Trial of the Chicago 7 isn't his experience, but whether it's... Minari. Minari. Right, a promising um, young woman. Yeah, let let people tell their experiences. You're gonna get something that's more authentic. And I would much rather watch Promising Young Woman, which is a is a ambitious and pers- felt very personal experience, than something like Crash, which feels like it's trying to teach me a message. I'd rather watch something that maybe doesn't have the polish and has a few missteps but feels way more kind of like passionate and necessary coming from the filmmaker than something that's like, oh, I want to talk about this experience and I haven't lived it, but I'm going to write a movie that talks about it so I can teach people about it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm really glad we did this because I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And I, I, you know, I'm really, I think most of the people who are listening to this show right now have, have watched very few of these movies and I can confidently say that I recommend all of them. So, um, Thank you so much, Corey and Eric, for for doing this. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, John, for having us. It was great. It was our pleasure. Baby, can't you see?
If you're listening to the show on your computer, consider downloading the app for your Android or your iPhone. It works great and it's free. If you like what you heard and heard what you like, that's Kent Korn says that. I steal it from him. His show's on before me and it's a great show. Mothers of Connection. Uh, go to go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and, and uh, go to the donate if, if that's how you feel. Uh, we survive off donations from listeners just like you. They're just like you. Thank you to Eric and Corey. Eric has a great podcast called Catcher's Corner. Eric in his former life was a, a catcher. And he his his podcast, he's like a phenomenon with the fantasy baseball because he, he knows it from the inside. And so he'll give you all your all your tips and tricks. Um, kind of analyze the game and also how to put together a great virtual team. I'm playing Brittany because something I've, I didn't get to talk about uh, during my talk with, with Eric and Corey is that um, Promising Young Woman is based on, well, it has a lot of allusions to uh, Britney Spears, um, which I think were kind of uh, intentional and unintentional, and then really check this out real quick. This is what was sampled for that toxic song. I've done this before on Race to the Bottom, but it's it's so cool. Mary Mary Beachy Man. It's cool, right? So, my wife and I were watching Promising Young Woman, and we're like, "Is this? Is she supposed to look like Britney Spears?" Um, and I think that uh, yes is is the answer. And then, in kind of a culminating culminating scene, there is a uh, instrumental version of Toxic, which I thought was worked perfectly with the timing because the the documentary about Britney Spears and and how she was treated by our culture um, is great. And you know, there's the whole free Britney thing, and just you know, if if our culture is, is able to treat wealthy uh powerful white blonde women that horribly just think of of how shabbily and and tragically uh you know black and brown women who have no power and economic resources are treated um so i loved promising young woman and Sound of Metal seemed to be our consensus uh, amongst the three of us. A couple other things that I didn't get to mention. One is Mank. Uh, an, an interesting side thing with Mank is this whole story about Upton Sinclair running for the governor and, and getting pretty far into the thing and then was was smeared by uh, the Hearst uh, newspapers and by Hollywood, uh, because they were so worried about having a, a full-blown socialist in office. And there was a great piece on on the media about 
about that when when it looked like Bernie might get the nomination. They they did a thing about that, um, and that's a, a sub theme in in Mank that that kept me interested through the slow parts. Uh, it also reminded me a lot of one of the most underrated Coen Brothers movies, Hail Caesar, with the screenwriters and their socialist leanings. And um, if you haven't watched Hail Caesar a second or third time, um, I recommend it because it gets better and better. Uh, also, I do have to just say that Sasha Baron Cohen's accent in in Chicago 7 I thought was atrocious. I know he's trying to do like a Boston accent and Abby Hoffman kind of had a, a weird thing, but that, eh, come on. Come on. It's not okay. It's not okay, Sasha. You know who is okay? You know who is great is this new H- HBO. You know HBO, right? The new HBO thing with Kate Winslet. What's it called? Research team? Can you tell me what that's called? She, her, she's doing like a, a Western Pennsylvania accent. It is unbelievably good. Her act, both her accent and the show seems like it's really good. It just started last week. Uh, oh, cityrunningtours.com. You can go there, uh, slash New York City. They sponsor this and every program on race on well on radio free brooklyn this show is called race to the bottom and check check them out and and uh run around the city and learn its history they do it in like 23 different neighborhoods i gotta do it i'm gonna do it i've been running uh running and walking combo if you must know so in May, I'm excited to tell you guys we're doing May Oral May. Sorry, Dad. May May Gladness did not uh, did not get the maybe. Well, maybe we'll do May Gladness next year. But May the New York City's having its mayoral uh, elections, and the way things work out this time is that. The primary is in June, but that's going to ostensibly be the election because, uh, you know, the Democrat is whoever gets nominated is basically going to win the race um, in the fall. So there's like 1,500 candidates. I want to try to break it down in a fun, interesting way. And that's what we're going to be doing in May. I've got some great guests that are coming on. Uh, somebody f- um, affiliated with the Working Families Party. Uh, I have Joanna Purpich, whose show is next on this here radio station, Crime Talk PK. Gonna, we're going to look at, at the candidates from kind of a criminal justice standpoint. I've got a great comedian coming on talking about the race and and these candidates in, from the perspective of workers and performers and how we're going to rebuild our performing arts society in this city from the ground up, hopefully, instead of the top down. I'm really excited about that. And I need a couple more people because there's five Saturdays in May. Uh, so I need two more people. If you know somebody who knows about New York City politics, hit me up so we can do some, some good dang radio. That was fun, right? First annual. 
Race to the bottom. Oscar Spectacular. I went on a bike ride with my dad, and I had this song in my head. Let's let's close out with this one. It's called Biking, and it's by Frank Ocean. I'll talk to you guys next week. Turn music up. Ah. Yeah. Oh, and the Kate Winslet thing is called Mayor of East Town. Okay? Check out her accent. That's a good accent. Race to the bottom. So far it goes down, nigga. Get you some icicles. All the mommy for all of y'all. Wristwatch got a Russian face like an oligarch. Ah, 12 o'clock, boy, silly nice. Huh. Willie in traffic, I'm Philly nice. Uh. ET on the handle. And and I understand that this is Jay-Z. He's he's featured on the song. And I don't know if you're gonna hear uh Frank Ocean before the the show's over, but I this is a Frank Ocean song, okay? Let's see if we, if Frank makes it by by the hour. Fifteen seconds. There we go. Talk to you guys next week. Shirt in the breeze like I'm sad and I walk in my sleep.